From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. I'm going to be in Acts chapter 16 this morning. If you have your Bible, will you turn there with me? Um, I'm going to fly. I've got a couple stories that I want to go across, so I'm going to talk really, really fast. If it's too fast for you, if you miss something, just raise your hand and shout out, and I'll slow down. I'll go back uh, to what we're talking about. But Acts chapter 16, I'm going to start in verse 22. If you have your Bibles, we'll put it on the screen as well, Uh, but turn there with me. I'm going to kind of preface what's happening in Acts chapter 16, and this is kind of the whole idea of today. And this is what I want to say. This is from Scripture. This isn't my idea. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. That's Paul's writing here. So Acts chapter 16, verse 22. Uh, Paul and Silas are doing ministry in the city of Philippi. And they're praying for people. Uh, they're, they're teaching. And it says that a slave girl was following Paul and Silas around. And she was demonic possessed. And she could tell the future. So she was speaking out and declaring what Paul and Silas were doing in this city. And um, this is how she would make money. So people would come to her, give her money. She would tell the, fu- uh, she would tell the future because of this demon inside of her. And uh, her masters would make money from this. She was a slave girl. It says that Paul became so annoyed with her day after day that he looked to her. He commanded the demon to leave her body, and it did. It's a beautiful story. The only problem is she could no longer make money for her masters, and they became very frustrated. So they grab Paul and Silas and bring them before the Roman officials, and this is where we're picking up in Acts chapter 16, verse 22. This is what it reads. If you're ready, say I'm ready. It's like a youth service right here. I get my kids talking. Okay, verse 22. It says, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. So in Jewish legal tradition, they actually had a maximum number of blows that someone could give to somebody for a punishment. That's Jewish legal tradition. The Romans had no limit, and they were really, really, really good at torturing and beating people. So we can speculate and conclude that Paul and Silas are stripped down naked, beaten in public. They're probably bleeding. They're bruised. We may even speculate that they're passing in and out of consciousness in this moment. And this is what we're reading in Acts chapter 16. Verse 23 says, they were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. I always pictured stocks like a chain against the wall and these metal clamps against your feet, and you could kind of walk around. Wooden stocks were a torture method, so they were actually meant for your neck, for your arms, and for your feet. This just says it was just their feet. So a wooden beam with holes in it. This is how Paul and Silas were laying in this prison, just like this, okay? They couldn't move. If you've laid like this for more than 10 or 15 or, or an hour, your legs will fall asleep. They'll start to cramp, and remember, minutes earlier, they had just been beaten. So they're probably bleeding, laying on this prison floor. It's terrible. And this is the picture that we see in Acts chapter 16. It's completely uncomfortable. What happens next is completely absurd. It's backwards. It doesn't make sense. But this is what it reads. Verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Let me read it again. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. 
If I had just been beaten, I had been stripped down naked, and I was laying in a prison cell at midnight, I don't think that I would be singing and praising God. I just imagine what the other prisoners were thinking. Remember, it says they brought them to the inner dungeon, the center. So everybody can probably hear these two dudes who had just been brought in singing and declaring praise to God. I don't know. This is just what the Bible says. It's, this is not my story. I want to press pause on this story. We're going to fast forward about 12 years in Paul's life. We'll come back to Acts chapter 16, but this is kind of where we're pressing pause. 12 years later, I just want to paint this picture. Paul's a 60-year-old man. He's actually in another prison cell, which I think is kind of funny that he's always thrown into prison. Anyway, 12 years later, he's in another prison cell, 60-year-old man. He's half-blind. His co-workers and friends have completely abandoned him. This man has scars like spider webs all over his body. He's waiting trial before Emperor Nero, who, if you've studied, loved to kill Christians. And Paul's going to write this letter called Philippians, okay? And he's writing back to that city that 12 years ago, this was his experience in Acts chapter 16. He's writing in another prison cell. I'm going to be in Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to start in verse 4. If you've got your Bibles, let's turn there. We'll come back to Acts chapter 16. But this is what it reads. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me pray real quick and we'll keep going. Hey Lord, anytime we open up text that seems to be obvious but so difficult, would you just enter into all of it, Father? God, for every ear that's hearing this, I just release grace and I just release such a gentle spirit. In Jesus' name, if you agree, would you say amen? Sweet. Hey, this is the most highlighted verse in the Amazon Kindle. So as Western Christians in America, this is the verse that we're underlining and highlighting. Yet I would say not a ton of us really, really apply this fully, myself included. But it seems that Paul is pointing to something and saying, hey, I've, I've walked through this thing, and there's this tool that you've been given as a believer, and when you activate it, something happens. And it seems really odd to activate this tool, but we're going to talk about it. Paul begins his thoughts on an anxious free life with this idea to rejoice. Verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. See, this word always, it completely changes the game. Paul could have written, hey, rejoice in the Lord when you're blessed because his mercies endure forever. Absolutely, I would have gotten that, and it would have made sense to me. No, he says, rejoice in the Lord, what? Always. Which completely removes whatever circumstance we're walking through. Could I suggest to us this morning that rejoicing in the Lord always is actually a call to obedience, not a response to feelings? See, if it was a response to feelings, I wouldn't rejoice in the Lord very much, right? Because feelings dictate our circumstance, always removes you from whatever that is. And Paul's saying rejoice in the Lord always. I want to unpack this word rejoice. When I hear this word rejoice as an American who only speaks English, I only think of one thing. At a party when you celebrate, you rejoice, 
That's how I grew up thinking of this word rejoice. And when we look at the Greek word rejoice, there's actually three different aspects to it, and they almost all have different characters. It's really interesting. So let's, let's unpack this. The first aspect of rejoice is to be full of cheer. What is full? Abounding, saturated, having within its limits all it can hold. What is cheer? To salute or greet with shouts of joy, to dispel gloom, sorrow, silence, or apathy, to gladden, to make cheerful, to infuse life, to encourage. What would it look like in life for you and I to greet our circumstances with shouts of joy? To be full of cheer. What would that look like? I was always taught maybe just to pray and declare things, which is biblical, which is what we should do. But Paul is saying that when you rejoice in the Lord, there's this exchange that happens. And I wonder for you and I, in marriage, in business, in school, in family situations, friend situations, what would it look like for you and I to greet those circumstances with shouts of joy? That's one aspect. The next aspect, this one's tougher for me. It's to be calmly happy. It's the opposite. What is calmly? Without agitation or strong emotion. Happy is delighted, pleased, or glad. How many of you have heard, be still my heart and know that you are God? That's still rejoicing. What would it look like in crazy circumstances that seem unfair, that seem fast, that seem crazy, to step back, to be still, and to be calmly happy. Because that's actually an aspect of rejoicing. It's not just extroverted and loud. That one's for me. I love it. It's not just introverted and quiet. My wife loves this one. She's really good at it. But there's another aspect. It's the third one. And it's to be well off. I think that being well off is actually a posture before the Lord. See, when you're well off, what you've declared to the Lord without saying anything is, God, you're sovereign, you're good, and I know that tomorrow you have good things for me regardless of what you're standing in. I think rejoicing is really, really difficult for me because it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him. And Paul's highlighting this. Regardless of your circumstance, rejoice in the Lord always. Verse 5, let's keep going. Philippians 4, verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I don't think Paul wrote this as like a good idea that maybe you and I should try every once in a while. He didn't write this as like a young man, like, hey, maybe if we tried this, something could happen. No, Paul's in a prison cell, an old man, gray hair, scars on his back saying, hey, I walked through situations and circumstances, and when I chose to rejoice in the Lord in all of them, something changed. There was an exchange that happened. Verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, rejoicing, right? That's our posture towards the Lord. His exchanges and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing about that. I think it looks different for all of us. And personally for me, it looks different than I thought it would. 
That's a tough one for me to swallow. When I try and actually praise God in a circumstance that's really tough, that exchange looks so different. But Paul is saying, hey, listen, I tried this. I did this. I've walked through this. And when I chose to do it, something changed. Let's go back to Acts chapter 16. This is where it gets good. So 12 years previous, we kind of talked about the situation that they're in. Paul and Silas are laying in this prison cell. They've been beat. They're bleeding. They're sore. They're uncomfortable. They've been laying on the ground for hours. And verse 25 says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Here's the beautiful thing about rejoicing. When you rejoice in the Lord, it not only affects you, but it affects people around you. I guarantee you there were prisoners in this Philippian jail cell at midnight that had no idea that their chains would fall off and that the prison doors would be set open. But because Paul and Silas decided to praise the Lord and their circumstance, it affected the people around them. And think about that for a second. You could have come here this morning in a really unfair circumstance and a place that says, man, life's not fair right now. And when you rejoiced in the Lord this morning in worship, it may not have only affected you, but the person to the left and to the right of you. That's incredible. Verse 27 says the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. See, culturally, if prisoners escaped and you were the jailer, you would have to endure the same punishment as the prisoners. He thought everybody escaped, and he didn't want that punishment, so he actually went to end his life. And this is what, this is what happens, verse 28. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Two men at midnight in a jail cell decided to declare and rejoice and praise the Lord in a circumstance that said, I should complain, I should bicker, I should be frustrated. And they did the opposite. I don't think Paul and Silas sat there either and said, hey, I got a good idea. Let's start singing to the Lord, and maybe he'll do something cool. We didn't have, they didn't have this story to read. They were pioneering this brand new thing, and they decided to praise God because of who he was, and it completely changed everything. I don't, I don't sit here and, and say, hey, this is a really easy idea, guys. Let's all just do this. This is simple. This is one of the, the toughest things I've ever read in my life. I have no idea the situation or circumstance that you're in this morning. Absolutely none. Maybe it's amazing. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's really, really, really tough. 
But Paul's highlighting this amazing tool that we're given. And when we activate this tool, it does something absolutely incredible. I want to give you two just simple, practical things to rejoice in the Lord in. Because maybe you are sitting here and you're like, Trav, I've got nothing, man. I've tried this and, and I, I've got nothing. This is ground level. This is regardless of your circumstance. These are two things that you and I can rejoice in the Lord And This is the first thing. We can rejoice in the Lord because of what he has already done. For me, usually anxiety will approach me when I'm looking ahead and I'm saying, man, I've got this list of things to accomplish and these things to do. But sometimes it's okay to turn around and say, man, you've already done and provided such an amazing way for me. Sometimes when you're climbing a mountain, the best thing to do is to stop to turn around and say, man, I've climbed a long way. What Christ did thousands of years ago was for you and I today, tomorrow, and the next day. And we can rejoice in the Lord because of what he has already done. It has nothing to do with your circumstance. Even your experience with the Lord. Maybe you're like, hey, I've never even experienced. Awesome. He provided such a way for you to experience fullness today. And because of that, we can rejoice. That's the first thing. The second thing. Because he's going to do more than you think he is. Ephesians 3.20, never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo all of them, for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Paul and Silas looked towards the Lord. They rejoiced and had no idea that God was going to outdo everything. That's my challenge this week. It's really tough, I'm sorry. But rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Stand with me, let's pray. Father, what an incredible reality and idea that we can rejoice in you always. So God, whatever circumstances in this room, you know their heart. You know every single one of them. But God, tomorrow when we wake up, we choose to rejoice in you. We choose to take our eyes off of our circumstance to look towards you and to rejoice because you're good and because you deserve it. We love you. God, I just release blessing over everybody in this room that this week would be filled with such grace and joy and your face would shine upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, guys, be blessed. I love you guys. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at vintagecitychurch.com.